Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us today with Film Roundtable. My name is Maria Prieto, and I am absolutely thrilled to have the two guests that we have on today. Um, but before I introduce them, I'm going to lead us through a moment of silence to commemorate all the lives that have been lost due to COVID-19 this year. Um, we're recording this on December 20th, 2020, and that number as of today is 317,042 deaths in the US alone. Um, we'd also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as our First Nation brothers and sisters, whose lives have been taken by, by, by the hands of police brutality and other senseless acts of violence. Thank you, thanks everyone. Um, all right, let's jump in. So today we have Nico Aguilar and Rodrigo Prieto. Thank you, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I quickly wanna give a little backstory. Both of these gentlemen are cinematographers um, and are very, very close to my heart. They're people I respect tremendously, both as artists and humans. And Nico and I went to film school together. I was fortunate enough to meet him and convince him to shoot a couple of projects of mine. And immediately there was just this rapport between us that I was like, this, this is what it should feel like to work with a cinematographer, to have a team. Um, and then shortly during one of my um, screenings, he met my father and then this friendship and working relationship started between them. So Nico, why don't you, Tell us a little bit about the first time you guys worked together. First time uh, I worked with you, Rodrigo, uh, was in the, it's a commercial for Acura. And it was an extremely exciting project. And, and honestly, it was the best project to, to kind of like hit the ground running because uh, I feel like um, I might've just graduated film school at that point. And I get a call uh, that uh, Rodrigo wants me to to do second unit for for this you know uh, commercial called Up, and so I you know I, we set up a meeting and I go and and, and meet with uh, the director and, and with Rodrigo, and as I'm in the meeting I, I realize that this isn't going to be shot on a stage. This isn't going to be at least for my unit. This isn't going to be you know shot in Los Angeles. It just starts enveloping is something in incredibly exciting. And it ended up being a project where uh, me and, and the, the partner that uh, I was teamed up with uh, from production, we went from LA to San Francisco through the Sequoias and the city and everything on a Mustang shooting uh, with a camera pointing up because the whole commercial called Up is about what you can see from a car, from a passenger perspective in this new car and all the experiences and, and amazing views you can see from, from, the, from the roof of the car that was all made of glass. And that couldn't have been a better project to be a part of because not only was that an incredible experience, but it taught me two things that, that were super important to collaborate. And I think those were a good foundation to uh, co continue learning and continue working with you, Rodrigo. One of them was communication, being able to understand how you are communicating sort of the shots that, that you needed and the director's shots. Uh, but the other thing was also how to, um, how to best interpret that as an artist myself and how to make decisions by myself that uh, can look for the best for the project. And I really feel like in, in the project that, you know, this project took a, a few days to shoot and everything, uh, I was able to practice both of those things very well and send documentation and, and send snapshots and receive feedback. Uh, but also I was able to express myself and that was extremely rewarding. I love that you said that because I mean, apart from inviting you guys on, because I love talking to you, uh, you two recently collaborated on The Glorious together. Nico, you as a second unit DP and Rodrigo, you as a cinematographer. Um, so I definitely want to jump into that. But, you know, Rodrigo, this is what your third or fourth project with Julie. 
Um, is that correct? Yes, yes. Well, Julie Tamer, I first did Frida, and then and then uh, we did um, this uh, play that uh, I actually photographed a play that she did, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, in Brooklyn, and then and then the Gloria. So it's actually three. Okay, it's three. Well, can you talk a little bit about how you formed a relationship with Julie and walk us through a little bit of the creative process that you have had in each of your projects? Well, yes, Julie is a, an incredibly talented uh, director and uh, visualist. So it's thrilling to collaborate with her because it's um, the language is very visual. Uh, she certainly is a... Uh, uh, you know, in touch with the, the emotional content of a story and, and, you know, the performances and the actors, all this stuff, but she uh, communicates through images. You know, you can see it in her, her plays and all her movies. And uh, she, she has, uh, you know, very good ideas and very specific ideas, but she's also very open to her team bringing their own ideas. And, and also, well, just from a technical standpoint, how to solve these uh, images, how to create them, how to make them actually, you know, come to fruition. But uh, it was thrilling. I remember Frida sitting down with her and just going through, especially the scenes that were uh, more, let's say, out there, you know, where we had things like paintings coming alive or, you know, things in, in Frida's imagination, more kind of her internal world, uh, which is something that continued uh, for sure on the Glorias as well. And uh, just talking through what we could do. We, we weren't limited by, okay, we have this amount of budget and these days, we weren't even thinking of that until of course, then you have to later on, right? But first of all, we, we just spitballed ideas and uh, that was great fun. I enjoyed it enormously. And uh, on, on the Glorias, it was very similar. You know, there was, it's, it's um, it's a complex movie. Uh, it, it has many, uh, many different locations and eras and you know, decades, and uh, but also it has some pieces inside of Gloria's mind. So that was where Julie just let it rip, and uh, and yes, it was exciting to come up with it. You know, and in, in both cases, but I think especially on the Gloria's, there was big budgetary limitations. Um, simply because of the scope of the script and, and what, you know, we were expected to, to deliver, you know, but uh, somehow we managed and uh, that was, that was fantastic. And, and being able to collaborate with Nico, he was a big help. Of course, it, it happens uh, in, in, in movies that, you know, don't have a big budget. They don't include a second unit in, in the budget because it's an expense. Of course, you have to, you know, pay a crew, you have to, you know, another camera, another crew for the camera and for the lighting and for whatever is. And, and uh, so the thinking is we can't afford that. But then as you start scheduling and you see, well, we can't afford extra days either, right? So how do we achieve this script in this amount of days, which is the only thing we can afford? Well, sometimes it requires a second unit. And that was a case of Las Glorias. It wasn't planned and I insisted from the very beginning, we need a second unit. And they were all like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But not really, you know, until reality set in and it was obvious that there were things we weren't going to be able to, to shoot. We just didn't have time for it. And uh, I was just going to say one thing that just reminded of, uh, you know, what Nico was talking about uh, on that Acura commercial and his experience on that. One of my first experiences just out of film school was also um, a second unit. Uh, actually, I think I was still in school, quite sure, or just about to finish anyway, but uh, it was with uh, Emmanuel Lubezki, Chivo. It was his second movie as a DP, and it was Alfonso Cuaron's first movie. It was called Solo con tu pareja. Solo con tu pareja. Yeah, mm -hmm. so they invited me, uh, having seen my student films, they invited me to, to shoot and direct the second unit of the, of the movie, and it was mostly inserts, many, many inserts of different types. It was this, oddball comedy, but uh, it included many tight shots of different things, of, of computers, a piece of paper, of shoes, walking, airplanes also, many, many shots. So I, I had my plate full. I was shooting constantly. And it was just myself, a camera assistant, and sometimes an electrician, and uh, that was it. And I had to figure it out. And I was on my own. 
And what was exciting was, like Nico said, interpreting what was required, the shots they asked me to do, and then making them, you know, making it happen and figuring out how to do it and how to put your own stamp on it without it being another movie. It has to blend in perfectly with, you know, the rest of it. So fortunately, I really liked uh, Lewinsky's style and, and uh, I, I thought I can match that. You know, I can do, you know, lighting on the inserts that will, you know, look like part of the same world, you know? So it, it was thrilling and uh, just reminded me, you know, of, of that of when I myself was starting. Of course, you know, Acura was a, a commercial, but later on we had the opportunity to work on The Glorious, which was The Glorious. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. That's awesome. That's go. really great to hear. <laughs> wow. Were you able and, to see scenes for sort of Contupareja to have an idea of what Chivo's lighting from that film looked like? Or were you just going off of his previous work? Well, uh, you know, this was, you know, many years ago. I don't even remember what year it was. But um, it wasn't very sophisticated where you could send images along or iPads or any of that, you know, and dailies took some time to be able to watch them. So it was mostly me visiting the set of the first unit. I was there often and saw what they were doing. And there was mostly, for the most part, were a couple of things that I had to match. One was there was always green somewhere. Alfonso Cuaron was obsessed with green. So I had to always be sure that there was something green. And sometimes that had to do with lighting too, but um, with green lighting. And, uh, and the other part was that there was this type of contrast in the lighting that Chivo was doing that I even saw, I, I went with him to, to shoot the tests, the original, you know, lighting and camera tests that he, he did. And I saw literally what he was liking on the test as he was finding a contrast ratio. So uh, I could match that. It was this a very soft sources with a, a high level of contrast. And so it was somehow, somehow easy to match that philosophy. You know, when I saw what, what he was liking, I knew that even for scenes that I hadn't even been there or, or had any really sense of how the scene exactly was lit, I knew that an insert would probably fit in if I lit it a certain way. And yeah, it worked mm -hmm. out. Well, Nico, well, I'm really curious now to hear a little bit about your prep process for the Glorias. So, uh, the Glorias actually what came at a at the perfect time uh, because I had finished another movie with uh, a producer who was also on that movie called Alex Sachs, and and she was so wonderful to see and to work with and everything. But the truth is that you know, I'd been working mostly in the indie world and a lot of the resources that I was working with and the Glorias were resources that for the most part of my career, I hadn't really worked with before, except on the movie that, that I had just finished. So I was very fresh to like jump in and, and deal with, you know, cranes or, or, or you know, certain certain types of gear that I hadn't worked with before or certain crew members and uh, it was, it really set me up at least uh, in, in that way to sort of try to ask the right questions and take the right notes. But truly the, the biggest prep work was uh, spending time with Rodrigo and Julie and uh, listening to, to them. And, and sometimes I remember uh, when I flew in from, from LA to Savannah, I rushed over to a meeting that you guys were having a prep meeting. And, and I sort of just sat in and, and there was a bunch of people there. Um, but in hearing a lot of the conversations that you guys were having as to how to technically approach and creatively approach certain scenes for the first unit, uh, I was able to sort of understand a little bit more of, of what was the whole process. And then when it came down to like, okay, and this is what we need from second unit, it was easier for me to sort of jump in and it didn't, it didn't feel like I was starting a conversation. It felt like the conversation was continuing. And uh, largely that was uh, also in, in Rodrigo's and Julie's ability to communicate. And that was amazing to me, to be honest with you, is that, you know, a lot of the times in, in film school and in the indie world, you spend so much time just trying to learn how to communicate, you know, how to communicate a shot or like, like I wanted, to, I want the camera to do this, but 
you almost like find all the words in the world to describe that except the right words, <laughs> you know? And I remember in that meeting, uh, I was just like amazed because I was like, wow, like that's such a perfect way to describe that shot. And then I would sort of like dry it in the meeting and then like add a little note. Oh, he said 20 millimeter. Okay, 20 millimeter right here. Or Julie said wide shot. Okay, wide shot. And then, you know, it was easier for me to sort of like uh, try to ask questions that uh, would allow me to complete the image in my head of what I had. But it's, it's important to also mention that a lot of the shots that I was doing were shots that uh, not only had to be creatively in tune with uh, the beautiful imagery that Rodrigo was doing, but they were also technical shots that had to be used in, with the VFX team. And that was also a very important consideration because uh, I had to make sure that I wasn't sacrificing either one. I wasn't sacrificing the aesthetic component to make sure that the technical component was su sufficient. I had to truly find sort of a squeeze away where, where both of, of them were fully satisfied. And that took a lot, a little bit more, uh, I guess, planning, but also just being there in, in the locations and just observing and, and just knowing what needed to happen. And then uh, bringing some of the information that I, that I gained from being at the locations and sort of presenting it as the right question to Rodrigo uh, or trying to, right? Because in this whole process, I myself am still trying to also learn how to ask the right questions. But that was, that, that was sort of what my experience was, at least in the beginning. Yeah. No, it's interesting what you said about how you really had to like, well, how you learn from listening. And I think that in order to be a good communicator, you like listening, I think is like the first step towards that, which, you know, mm -hmm. when you're younger and in film school, everyone wants to talk and everyone wants to like have something to say about something, but really like taking a step back and listening and digesting what people are saying will ultimately make you a better communicator. That's very yeah. true. That's very true. I think for every department, even for directors, I learned that also from Curtis Hansen. He was a great listener and a great learner. And then from what he listened, what he learned, then he'd say, okay, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. But I would say that on, on the glorious, uh, Nico had his job cut out, but uh, a lot of, a lot of what you were doing were, you know, these shots around of the bus out of time, that was its mm -hmm. name and also around it, what was, you know, happening around this bus. And what was tricky was that even ourselves trying to understand what that bus was and, and everything around it was a very long process because this wasn't something that was written very, very clearly. And in fact, Julie is the one who came up with that idea. You know, it was, uh, she, she added that to the original screenplay. And so that whole section of the, uh, the, the four uh, Glorias talking to each other was Julie's idea, but she wasn't quite clear for herself what was exactly happening outside the bus and how that connected to the other stories and how, you know, we go to India from inside the bus or things of this sort. So we had to just ourselves understand, come to understand it. And because we were inventing it basically. But then there was the other, technical factors as, you know, if, if, if it's a point of view from the bus, you know, how, what distance do we need? Say, for example, the car of her father, that was one of the points of view. What distance, what direction, what speed, what height, it had to match the height of yeah. the window of the yeah. bus. Uh, how do we get the camera to that height quickly, you know? And then there are all these other shots outside the bus. And, and uh, so, and then, Again, as I say, with very little uh, budget, it was, uh, you know, there were, there's, there were tools that were necessary, expensive, but necessary. Again, because uh, of the time, you know, you can do all those shots, you know, in a pickup truck with pipes and stuff, you can do that, but then you'd need, you know, seven days to achieve that. So uh, we needed a crane with a, you know, stabilized head and, you know, things like that, that we, we have to you know, figure out how to afford these things. Well, and, Rodrigo, and for think... the audience, oh, sorry, Nico, you go ahead. Oh, no, 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 please, please. Well, I just, I think that, you know, for those listening who haven't seen the film, it would be beneficial if you could just kind of describe a little bit of the scene, the bus scenes that you're describing and just paint the picture of what is actually happening in the story there. 
Sure. Well, the, the, the story of the Glorias uh, goes through decades, as I said before, and, and we see her as a child, we see her as a 12-year-old young lady, and, and then in her mid-20s, and then in her 50s, 60s, even in, in her 80s at the very end. Um, so, uh, 80s is it? 70s? I'm not quite sure. Anyway, at her older age. Um, the challenge, you know, in any movie that follows a, a, a person through so many decades, it's, you know, a challenge how to separate these and how to segue from one to the other. So Julie came up with this idea that it would be connected with this bus, which is out of time. It's, it's, it's not in, in a, it's not chronological or even logical. And the, the different Gloria's, the different actresses that play Gloria Steinem at, at her, at all these different eras are in this bus and they're talking to each other. So it's like a flow of consciousness where, where she is being able to, you know, the older Gloria talks to the child and vice versa and learns from each other, you know? So uh, how do we separate this from the rest of the movie? That was one of the questions. We decided to shoot it in, in black and white, but then is everything outside the bus in black and white? Ooh, but from the bus, we, we transitioned to India where we literally have a shot inside the bus where, 20-some-year-old Gloria is looking out the window and Julie wanted what's outside to be India. And then we are in India, which is, you know, part of her form, forming years. Uh, so India can't really be in black and white. So anyway, we decided to, you know, to have the exterior be sometimes in full color, sometimes semi-black and white. You know, so it was a whole process of deciding when and where, how it would look in this weird bus situation. But that was part of the, the, the fun, you know, over in the Julie Tamer movie is coming up with these ideas, you know, because it's not like, she, like I said, she's very visual and she has, you know, these, these ideas, but she figures it out with her team, you know? So it's not, okay, okay guys, this is what we're doing. It's okay, this is a, this is a concept. How do we make it? How do we make it great? How do we figure this out? And that's where we all come in, the production designer, myself, you know, the rest of the team. So it's pretty thrilling. And Nico, part of your responsibilities were capturing the exterior of the bus shots. Okay. Yep, I was doing a lot of that, which was interesting because uh, there was no second unit director per se. Mm -hmm. And some of these shot, ha shots had, uh, had talent, had, you know, um, not main talent, of course, but they had extras that had to interact like a little girl and her mom and everything. And, I remember, you know, being on, on set, and that was actually one of the first sequences that, that we shot of the little girl. And uh, be, before I get into that, I just want to acknowledge one thing that Rodrigo was saying before about the tools that I just want to say that he really truly set up second unit for success uh, mm -hmm. because he was able to give us the tools from the get-go that were the perfect tools for the job both from the lensing, from the crew size and the actual gear of using uh, a camera crane. He absolutely set, a, set us up for success. And what was amazing to me is the fact that, uh, Rodrigo, you were able to sort of uh, almost like a chess move, see five, five moves ahead of what exactly we would be needing and then uh, giving us those tools. And because we had that, uh, we were able to move efficiently, move decisively and, and quickly. Uh, so going back to sort of the story that I was telling is um, a lot of those sequences of looking outside the window had either, you know, a lot of the, was the vehicles, was the, the dad's vehicle, uh, but a lot of it was also, or, or a section of it was with these little kids running around and everything. And I remember being on set in the moment and, uh, having all these decisions too, because I realized, oh, now I have to decide because Rodrigo and Julia are, are, are in here, sort of like if the actors are placed right here where they're in backlight and then it's a little bit happier of a move or a move, you know, mood, or whether I do it a little longer of a lens or a little wider of a lens, it's those tiny little details that have an emotional effect. And I remember the night before going on set, uh, questioning how should I best prepare, you know, to have the right mindset to be on set. And the answer was going back to the script 
And I remember reading the script completely unadulterated with any visual ideas and just concentrating solely on what I knew that uh, the, the style that, that Julie has and Rodrigo has, but also just understanding their, her journey, you know, because I realized if I have to make a decision, if I'm on the spot and I have to make a decision and this is now and only the only information or the only shots that they will have, I have to make sure that they will be in line with the character's journey because this is a character story. And that was one situation where uh, I felt that was tested because uh, as I said, there wasn't any sort of director and a lot of the conversations that, that I, and the information that was being passed down was, I was sort of the bridge between. Uh, so I you know, took it upon myself to also sometimes talk to the extras and be like, not quite, you know, better do this different, better do, do that different. Um, because I felt that my responsibility wasn't only in producing shots that would work for VFX. And because a lot of it was reflections, but I wanted to make sure that beyond the reflections, beyond the VFX elements, that it was emotionally usable stuff, you know, or narratively usable stuff. And, uh, all of that was truly from also listening to Rodrigo and uh, and also the respect of Rodrigo's trust and, and uh, Julie's tr trust in me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's true that on the second unit, the, the, it kind of the, the separation between directing and, and shooting only blurs a little bit, unless of course yeah. it is a bigger second unit, uh, bigger, and you have a, a, you know, a director, but Typically, and it was my experience too, when I was starting in second unit, you have to figure it out on your own. You had to become kind of a director DP. And, yeah. uh, but it's not, the tricky part is that you're doing it for someone else, you know? So right. you, that was a whole scary, you know, that they will not have imagined exactly that, or you, you'll be disappointed or, you know, and, and uh, you know, I know that that can be tricky. I remember on, on Babel, we had a, a few second unit pieces and uh there was one that was became a joke because every day on the call sheet would be uh the bus arriving into the village in morocco but hey didn't they shoot that yesterday and the day and again and it was because the second unit would go and shoot it and alejandro wouldn't like it and they'd have to <laughs> and alejandro wouldn't like it again and they'd have to shoot it again and again and again. <laughs> so this, this, this joke <laughs> almost a running guy go, okay so what are you guys doing today the bus arriving into the village and what <laughs> Oh my God, <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, Rodrigo, you touched on this a little earlier about you know Julie's magical realism and her work and her art. And in Frida, you guys, you know, you had Frida's work of art, works of art to be inspired by and you know bring those to life. But in the case of Gloria Steinem, you know, what were some of the inspirations that you guys drew from to create some of those scenes that are, you know, wild and out of this world? For example, the tornado scene that, you know, has very much like Wizard of Oz uh, themes in it. But could you run us through those conversations with Julie? Well, certainly, uh, uh, I would guess the main inspiration was Gloria herself, who who was around, you know, we, we met her and she went to visit sometimes on the set and, you know, she's living breathing person so we could uh you know and she's written a lot so you, you know you could read her books and, and uh so that was a obviously a big source of of the inspiration and the imagery and partly for example on that uh, wizard of oz kind of scene that's uh, pretty bizarre and um strange it uh it it came about i believe there's in one of her books she does talk about the wizard of oz and gloria steinem does and in reference to the travel, you know, in, in her, her book, My Life on the Road, it's, it's, it's so much about moving, about traveling, about going out, meeting people, listening. <laughs> That's a big part of uh, Gloria's uh, world is listening uh, to other people. And uh, so and the interesting part about uh, uh, Dorothy's journey is that for her, What's important is to go back home. You know, she, she, the whole thing is going back to Kansas. You know, she's in this incredible journey, but she wants to go back home. But Gloria is the opposite. You know, so there is, she does make reference to the Wizard of Oz in that sense of, of how women have been taught uh, that home is the most important 
thing that women have to relate to, you know, and they have to take care of home and they have to be home. And that's the women's journey. And, and Gloria goes against that, you know, for her, it's like, no, no, go out to the road and, and experience your life and, and experience the, the world. Uh, so I think that's where the Dorothy thing came into play. And, um, you know, there's also this thing, I think that Julie Tamer herself and so many women go through is that sometimes women in a position of power, uh, you know, making tough decisions are seen as witches, you know, in a way, you know, so an anger in women is seen as, uh, as uh, something inappropriate. And I think that's what that scene represents is, well, this is, there is this feminine power, which is not only the, the, the traditional view on femininity, you know, it's, it's this, uh, uh, magical power, which we, some of us guys can see as uh, witchcraft, but uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just projecting that that's my perspective, but uh, uh, um, Gloria Steinem is, it's interesting, but because she doesn't tend to be, uh, uh, let's say, excitable and uh, get angry. Uh, so, in fact, there's a scene where she's running on this treadmill and we did also this abstraction uh, of this road, you know, all these roads intersecting and she's, a, you know, and there's this yellow line going through her face, you know, and also a very emotional moment. And, and uh, Julie wanted also that scene to also represent Gloria Steinem's frustration and anger. And also the, the scene where she has this uh, outburst as, at this uh, taxi driver who's a racist, uh, you know, in New York, as, as she's going to the airport. You know, so uh, Julie wanted to include that side too. You know, the 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 the, the anger, not just the the uh, conciliatory nature of of what feminism also had to be. You know, in the seventies, it was you know adversarial and all that. But Gloria, uh, her nature is very much as I described before um, to to listen to people. You know, so she's not as confrontational. So Julie, I think, put a little bit of herself in there too, which I, I always think is crucial is uh, for me, for the projects that I participate in, is that the director is in there, you know, that the characters are representations of the director and then it's personal and, and then it, it, it grows, I think. No, it's amazing. Um, Nico, uh, you touched on this a little bit earlier in the sense that, you know, you mentioned that there were times when you kind of had to you know, make choices as a DP director. But I'm curious what kind of interaction you did have with Julie on the film. Um, I had most of my interaction with Julie for the film was alongside with Rodrigo, um, where they would both sort of discuss, I'd listen and sometimes ask questions. Um, the the closest I was able to to get to Julie was the last day for our unit, she came in kind of like uh, towards the end half of the day because they had, uh, I think, finished principal production a few hours before and she went to sleep and then she, she came and visited set. Uh, and I think, Rodrigo, that was when you had to go to, uh, to India. You were on a flight in India, I believe so. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it was really nice for her to, to visit set. Um, but I remember that she came to visit in the hardest shot of second unit. It was the hardest shot where you start on the close-up of the bus and then you pull back to a wide of the bus. And when I was planning the shot, I realized that it was way more complicated than, than just pulling out because uh, I was on two walkies in, in the car where I had to coordinate the speed of the bus and the speed of the car and we couldn't go too fast because if we went too fast, then we would run out of road. Mm. But I also wanted the illusion of the car going fast. So what I had to do was I had to start the truck at a slower speed and the car at a slower speed. And then as the camera pulls out, the, the camera car goes at a much larger speed than the bus. But as I accelerate, I have the bus accelerating at the same time. So that by the time I get to the wide shot, we can both have, be going relatively fast. And by then the shot would, would end. But I wanted to make, make it seem like the whole time we were going extremely fast. 
unfortunately at those speeds it's it's really 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 tough to to be able to to get a shot static and and then on top of that i also wanted the bus to be in backlight and in a certain backlight where i wouldn't get this flare that was just horrible for the shot and then on top of that uh i had the camera being reflected re reflected back when i was pulling out on the front windshield of the car of the bus and I couldn't solve it with a polarizer. So I had all these issues going on and all these things. And this is the last moment that I can get the shot. And I remember Julie joining us to the car and, and, um, and you know, the whole time I'm like rushing the team and I'm like telling them, come on, let's go, let's go. Cause we're running out of daylight and this, all these things need to happen perfectly at the same time, but just trying to keep it absolutely professional and cool because Julie's sitting right next to me, you know, as I'm like coordinating right here, but I'm also operating the shot on, on, the, on the wheels. And uh, I remember doing the shot a few times and uh, interestingly enough, having the pressure of the director there, we nailed it. We got the shot um, eventually. And, and I remember even having to hide my own excitement of like, oh yes, I got it. <laughs> Brodrigo would be so proud and Julie's here. I got it, I got it. Uh, and I remember when, when closer to the end of getting all of that, uh, Julie the whole time was, was talking to me about Rodrigo and this and that. And, and I remember one of the, the last things that, that Julie said that meant a lot to me was, was Julie was like, uh, that was nice, yeah. It, you know, I, I have to say, you, you remind me so much of Rodrigo a long time ago when I was first working with him right right now. And I was like, wow, wow, okay, okay. Uh, maybe not as, as good looking, but I'm, I'm sure uh, something reminds you <laughs> But <laughs> The accent. Yeah, the accent, the accent. And, but I remember that was uh, the, the best interaction I had with Julie was, was in sort of trying to get this, this shot and, and it, 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 we got it, somehow we got it, but a lot of things were going, you know, a lot of challenges were happening in, in the moment. And also it was our last chance because after that, you know, production's done. It was- Yeah, like, and it's one of the first, if not the first shot in the movie, it starts on the, on the sign on top of the bus, right? That's the first thing. So it has to be stable and hold for a second. You have to read it and then it comes all the way white to see the full on bus in black and white. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you nailed it. I knew that was a tricky one. <laughs> that was a tricky one. And I remember going to DIT uh, after, and I part of me just couldn't believe that we actually nailed the shot because a lot of things, were, as I said, were going wrong. And I remember recording the shot on my phone from DIT, and every time that I'd have an anxiety moment of like, oh shit, did we actually get it? Was it all in focus? Was it all good? I'd pull up my phone and watch and be like, oh, okay, okay, it's good. <laughs> and... I have to add one more thing uh, because I think it's important that the team that we had for second unit, both from production and for, for uh, uh, camera and, and GNE, I just have to say that, that they were truly just so kind, so amazing and so dedicated. And I remember there's a few times just out of my own anxiety to be able to uh, produce as much value as I could on on second unit, I would push our team to get many more shots than was planned. And as soon as we would get the shot, I would add a variation or I would add a different angle or just something, just in case there was a, an occasion where Rodrigo or Julie, you guys would be like, oh, it would have been nice to get this angle. Then I could be like, oh, but we got it. And just squeeze every little moment and every little second out of uh, the the time and I I you know to be honest I did push our team a lot in the day and I was sort of as soon as we got the shot everyone was like yay and I was like no wait wait hold on celebration let's get a variation and not only did they did it uh, with a smile on their face and gracefully because they believed in 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 the project and 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 then everyone but they just did it so well and it was just such a pleasure working with them and. Again, Rodrigo, you really truly set me up for success there because you just gave me all the tools and all the people that were just so perfect in, in getting the job done. Well, you know, thank you, Nico. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm glad yeah. that it was important. <laughs> um, the, 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 the thing I've learned, one of the things I've learned throughout my career, coming back to what you were saying, is that um, 
it is important to push. It's important to go the extra mile because the, the whole thing, the whole mission of production is to get things done and get them you know, as cheaply and as practical as possible. That's the mission. So artists have to push. Otherwise, we'll be, you know, swallowed by that machine. And it's not that they're evil people. That's what they're paid for. That's their job, right? So, and assistant directors sometimes also are in that mode of, you know, let's just get this thing on the can. Let's get the shot and period. Okay, we got it early. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's finish early, whatever it might be. You know, so, so I've learned from the, 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 you know, the best directors I've worked with that uh, the passion they have leads them to sometimes require or request things that may sound unreasonable. But the crew, what we're all trained to do is to, to do them, do it, you know, to, to execute these, these requirements that a director might, might have. Sometimes it is not possible, but I think it's important always to, to push it and to keep going and to add that little bit, that little extra thing. I think that's what makes a difference always. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and to add to that, Rodrigo, one of the things that I've learned the most uh, from just seeing your work and being on set with you is the way in which you do that. And uh, I think the way in which you do that is, is incredibly unique and it's incredibly special because you do that in a way that makes the production feel like, uh, like you're a crusader for, for this amazing image. Not, not, there's no antagonism there and there's no sort of, uh, um, you know, bad intention. And, and a lot of the times I think having those conversations can feel a little bit awkward and can feel a little bit confrontational. That's the word that I was looking for. Um, and certainly cinematographers like myself and, and others in the indie world who are trying to get to, to bigger projects often don't know the exact way to approach those conversations, even though we know we should push the image. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you have people pushing it in the wrong way and communicating in the wrong way and then creating an antagonism with production and then having to deal with that. Or there's people that just don't wanna deal with it. And then they just sort of like not push production and not push for a better image because they don't wanna be known as that DP who pushes that, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think what I've seen in the way you, that, that you do it is you do it in a way that feels like a collaboration always. Mm -hmm. And that's really the, 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 the biggest lesson. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned from you is that, oh, wow, that's, that's how to get a better image and a better product is to push it, but to push it in the right way. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, uh, I mean, after all, production, not only, as I said, their job is to get things practically and cheaply, but also to make things happen. You know, that's really the main part of their job. So, I, you know, I latch on to that. You know, how do we... How do we make this happen? How do we as a team, you know, create the best possible result? And, and, you know, so you don't, even though the mission sometimes seems to be at, at odds, you make it so that it's the same, you know, and, um, you know, you not always get what you, what you'd want and what you, you know, really need for a certain thing, you know, but then, then it's your job to maybe talk, talk to the director and explain the situation. But in the meantime, you really, you know, have to figure it out, you know, really push uh, and, and, and see how, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking examples, some crazy stuff that, you know, sometimes directors have asked of me um, in, in Babel, for example, that very last shot in the, in the movie where the, we start on the balcony in, in, in Tokyo and it's this young, young, young woman, the deaf mute young girl, she's naked and her father comes and embraces her and Alejandro one day told me, we were already in production in Japan, said, oh, I had this dream. I imagined the movie ends with a shot of them in the, a two shot of them in the balcony and the camera pulls away and away and away and the building is smaller and smaller. We see all of Tokyo at night. Okay. And this was a production that was geared for handheld, you know, no, no helicopters or anything like that. And so it was a huge challenge. There was no way in Japan they would allow us to fly a helicopter at that height, impossible. 
Okay, so then maybe a drone, but that was when drones really, really weren't sophisticated at all. You wouldn't get a movie, you know, film negative camera to do that, uh, first of all. But even if we had, it wasn't allowed. Okay, how about cable cam? You know, we put a cable from one building to the other, not allowed either. You know, so everything was shut down, shut down. But I had to deal without, without, uh, with all that myself before I went to Alejandro. You know, I had to figure it out. And wow. Finally, I came up with this thing of, okay, let's put a crane on top of, on the roof of the, of this building, the camera facing back into the building and, and with the crane go out as far as possible. We didn't have a techno crane, so it was on actual track uh, in wow. the top of the building. So we went out until the you know, arm would stop and then keep shooting. And then visual effects took over and we shot plates from the building across the, you know, so the, the, the direction of the camera went towards that building. We mm -hmm. shot wider plates of the building from that angle and then visual effects filled it all in and they, you know, then became a whole visual effect. Anyway, we achieved the shot uh, within a budget. And uh, so that's, that's the kind of thing, you know, that I find I'm dealing with all the time. And, and uh, you know, and, and you enlist production, you enlist everybody in, in this endeavor. Okay, how do we figure, okay, guys, what do we do? So then, you know, locations is talking to, you know, everybody to see if there are permits for this and that, you know, and, and, uh, and, okay, so we don't have that permit. How about this, you know? Anyway, that's part of the fun, I think. And, and it also shows how much you fight for a director yeah. because you could have very easily brought the issue to the director and be like, nah, it's too complicated. Let's, mm -hmm. let's maybe veer another way. But I think an important thing to notice is that you made the choice to solve the problem mm. before sort of giving up on it and bringing it to the director, which would, would have been the easy route for a cinematographer. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, Rodrigo, do you think that's something that you've done, you know, since film school where you problem solve before bringing the problem to a director or is that something you've had to learn? No, I think that's been there all the time. I've always felt that the movies I shoot are my movies too. You know, I don't see it. And I remember kind of arguing about that in film school where, Everybody was like, oh, Daniel's movie or Eva's movie or, you know, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, it's my movie too, you know? <laughs> I really felt um, ownership of, of everything I was shooting. And I, I, it's the same to me right now. So um, at the same time, I do believe that it's kind of my duty to do the director's film and, uh, and find a way to bring that specific vision to fruition. So uh, I, I really, I, if, I, if I'm going to do a movie, if I'm going to accept to, you know, working with a director's because I really want to work with that director and give that person the movie they, they want and bring my own stuff to it. So I, I, don't, I, I don't know, working with Scorsese, there's, you know, well, every director I've worked with, there, there are challenges that sound insane, <laughs> you know? And right. sometimes, especially Scorsese will just say, uh, oh yeah, I want this like that. And, he doesn't even stop and think what it means, <laughs> you know? And nobody dares say no to Scorsese anyway, right? So now it's up to me and the team to figure out, okay, how do we put these crucifixes in this impossible location where they would die? The actors for sure are gonna die if we do that. <laughs> that's what Scorsese wants. So how do we do that with a shoestring budget? That was on silence, which really, you know, there was, we have no money and we figured it out. And there it is in the movie and, and, and it's uh, pretty startling. Um, but uh, I enjoy that very much. And, and uh, I don't know, it's, it's, those are the challenges that are actually fun, even though, you know, it can be stressful and there can be a lot of pushback in the case of that scene in, in silence. It was, you know, we were exploring how to attach these crucifixes to the bottom of that pit with all these crazy waves. And of course it was very dangerous, but also then the government said, not allowed, you can't touch those rocks, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Scorsese didn't even know any of this, right? Uh, we just have to deliver the shots. And finally, when we figured it out, I went to Scorsese and said, okay, this is how we're gonna do it. And then he explained wow. the whole thing from a technical standpoint and that's what we did. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Nico, you made a comment earlier that I just want to touch back on. Um, when it was, we were working with Julie, she mentioned that you reminded her of a young Rodrigo. And it's, it's interesting because when I was growing up, 
I would go to set to visit my dad. And I think the reason that I was so drawn to filmmaking is because I would see him on set with just this smile on his face. I mean, even there were times when he was frustrated, but he never let it, you know, dictate how the set felt. You know, his crew, like there wasn't like a running tension. It was just always this levity almost. Um, it just, it seemed fun. And I was like, wait, people, this is like what you can do for your career. So, you know, that's just what I wanted to do. And then when I met you, I think that's the reason that when we worked on our first project together, I also felt that what I felt when I was little, it was just, you know, you brought everything with you to the project. Um, you brought your whole heart. And that's just something that you can really feel. So I just wanted to make a note of that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And Nico, I'm curious, what was your favorite moment working on this film? What do you think you learned the most from? Um, my favorite moment was truly being in the car with Julie, for sure, and getting that super difficult shot because, uh, mind you, I the whole time working on this film, I felt incredibly uh, blessed to be a part of it. But part of me was like, oh, why me? You know, it's like, <laughs> there's so many more amazing people and more amazing cinematographers out there that I, the, the whole time I was like, I was like, wow, this is, you know, an opportunity of a lifetime because of that. Um, and it was truly being on, uh, there with Julie because it sort of was, I was proving to myself that I had deserved to be there. And mm -hmm. that was a, a really, really important moment for me. Um, the other, the, the other thing, uh, which is the, the learning part of it that I learned the most is, um, is truly again, sort of like uh, just observing how you and Julie communicated, Rodrigo. Uh, was incredible to me because I feel like at the level that, that you guys are at, a lot of the conversations uh, you're almost used to communicating that, that way. But I think it takes a lot of time to develop those skills and it takes a lot of time to ask the right questions. And, um, you know, a lot of, I, I feel like a lot of people who are trying to get into cinematography or who love cinematography, they focus always on the camera and, and, and how exactly this is lit and how, what light they use for this and that. And uh, in my experience, I, I've always felt that that is the least important part about cinematography. It really just, it, to learn about cinematography, you need to go to the nucleus of cinematography, which is story and collaboration. And uh, I think the biggest learning experience for me was uh, the blessing of being in the nucleus of the story and collaboration of that film. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Rodrigo, I'm curious if you ever feel imposter syndrome, like kind of that feeling that Nico described where you're like, wait, am I really here? I mean, now that you're working with, you know, the directors you're working with, do you ever like look around and you're like, mm, should I really be here? Or have you kind of overcome that? All the time, all the time. Uh, I really do. I mean, I don't know now if it's uh, actually imposter syndrome, syndrome. I think that uh, let's say in the last maybe five years, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm a cinematographer and I, I, I get this and I can, I can do it, you know, I kind of, but what does happen every day is that I'm nervous, especially at the beginning of the day on and, and every job, no, no matter what it is, even, you know, commercials, anything that I'm doing, I feel that oh, there is a possibility and it might not work. I might not be able to figure it out. I, I always have that feeling and I have been, even recently in situations where it's like, okay, there we go. Couldn't do it, it didn't work. <laughs> this is, it's, it's, I, I can't do this shot. It's not it's whatever for, 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 you know, usually it's, uh, you know, weather or, you know, production issues. And, uh, and it's a horrible feeling, you know, the, the, the sensation of, man, can't, I can't, you know, it, it reached to the, to a level where, but, usually 99% of the cases it's solved. It, 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 it's, it's possible to, to make it work. And, and, um, and that's what gives me now a little bit of a level of tranquility where I have been faced so, with so many um, nearly impossible situations where it's, okay, what, we got a wrap. This is, we can't, you know, it's not possible to do this or that. And we figure something out and we can do it. I've been in that situation so many times that now uh, 
I just, I just know that uh, it's just a matter of kind of relaxing and going into that, you know, inner voice. And yes, it's also experience. You can go back to other situations that have been relatively similar or something and you can take from that and apply it somehow, you know, but there's, there's always a way generally, unless it's totally catastrophic, but uh, it's pretty scary. <laughs> those moments of near catastrophe. Yeah. <laughs> You're credited in the film, Rodrigo, you're credited as man on bus um, because you have a cameo in one of the last scenes in the film. <laughs> um, but I'm curious if you could talk about, you know, previous experiences having cameos in films. Yes, well, as you were, <laughs> I don't know, we haven't mentioned it, but whoever is really, uh, uh, you know, looking will realize that we share the same last name, Maria and I, because she's my daughter, <laughs> so she well knows that I have this um, uh, amazing talent in, of acting, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a really, really good actor. <laughs> Not, but uh, I've, I've always enjoyed it. I've always liked the, the sort of, I have, I've had that acting bug ever since I was uh, in school, you know, like in, in grade school. I would love theater classes and improv and all sorts of stuff. I always... Anytime there was anything to do with acting, I'd sign up. So anyway, um, that didn't pan out and I ended up being behind the camera. <laughs> but I've had a, a couple of opportunities to be in front of the camera. And one of them, by the way, was directed by Maria herself in, in a short pandemic movie that, uh, now, now here I'm peddling you. Uh, you yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think my first cameo uh, was in Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> and on that film with Ang Lee, what happened is that there was this uh, character in a scene that was, you know, a Mexican guy who, uh, Jake Gillingham's character, goes to Juarez in Mexico to look for love, right? So he's, uh, he can't just support his uh, sexual needs by, you know, one high altitude beep, right? a year so he goes to mexico and and he goes down an alley and finds this uh, mexican male prostitute so this was always in the script and there was a person cast for that part but the running joke throughout the production was yes rodrigo is gonna do it ha ha, ha. <laughs> yeah very funny well so we show up on that day to shoot it it was the last day of filming on the movie in canada we didn't shoot it in mexico that part of course so we faked the city with a burro and everything. I mean, it's like all the stereotypes were there. And uh, I'm lighting it, which was a night scene, pretty complicated Steadicam shot that saw, you know, down two sides and all that. And Ang Lee comes to me and says, Rodrigo, I need a favor. So immediately I knew what it was. And uh, no, Ang, please. So he explains to me that the actor he had cast was a good actor, but that was short. And he just visually felt it was weird to have Jake being tall and next to the short man. And he hadn't seen him in person. He'd only seen photos and videos. So, so could I do it? Uh, so I had to go to hair and makeup and costumes and, uh, you know, and the walkie talkie while I was in the trailer being made up, I was thinking of things in the lighting and talking to my gaffer. Remember the third window to the left of, yeah, the one, the second one, right on top, yeah, that window, put a 2K in there with a straw gel or whatever, <laughs> like that, while that was being made up. So uh, I came out to, to, you know, shoot it when they were ready and the AD starts pressuring me, like, are you ready? Ready? <laughs> anyway, so I, I remember you guys were there, Maria and Jimena, my other daughter, <laughs> that day. And uh, so, yeah, I do this little roll on the street and it was lots of fun. And uh, I've done a couple of things like that. And, and the glory is I'm in the, at the end scene, there's a, a moment inside the bus that we've been describing where now it's in color and we see all these people, mostly women, but also men going to the march in Washington, uh, the Women's March. Uh, so, you know, all the women have these uh, pink hats and, uh, and Julie wanted the crew to be in there. So most everybody, if not everybody, I think that's in the bus is actually from production and from the crew. So there was, you know, the, my camera operator, one of the camera operators, myself, um, uh, the, 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 the key grip, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, a lot of the crew, they were all there. And it was, 
Julie is there, Elliot, her husband is there, who also created the music, and Gloria Steinem herself is there. I just might have just spoiled this moment for people watching the movie, but it was thrilling. It was super fun just to be there and, you know, the camera goes by and you kind of glimpse each one of us. And uh, so anyway, yes, if anybody out there is uh, requiring uh, someone of my characteristics to be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, is very qualified. I, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, Nico, I'm going to throw this at both of you, but I'll start with you. Uh, did you ever have any other careers that you wanted to pursue when you were younger? Or did you kind of always just have a feeling you'd go into filmmaking? Uh, well, to be honest, I come from a family of politicians and lawyers, and I always sort of love the idea of law and politics just because they're I, I love the idea of like having your voice be heard and being able to collaborate with others but not really I think as, the first time I was on set I was nine years old and then the moment I saw the cameras and lights I was like this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life what, what was that, that on Nico when you were nine what set was it it was um it was, first it was an interview, a, a political interview that my dad was having. Um, and I, they brought in the cameras and they lit it all. And I remember thinking they lit him terribly. <laughs> I remember that thought. Wow. And then I went to set to uh, Gael Garcia's first uh, directorial debut called Deficit, produced by Pablo Cruz. And I remember Pablo Cruz at that age, was he was my first friend in film and he sort of didn't take me under his wing, but while in the production, he was so nice to me and would take me on set and would show me everything. And um, I have very clear memories of all of them and meeting Gael there and everything. And uh, ever since then, I, I sort of, it, I just felt at home being in that environment. And it just felt like, like, I, there's no question in my mind, this is what I wanted to do. And I was willing to put everything at risk for it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what about you, Rodrigo? Well, uh, my family, I, my grandfather was a politician, pretty prominent back in the day, but uh, my more immediate family, my mother uh, was an amateur artist. She, she painted at home. Um, and uh, my father was an aeronautical engineer, your grandfather. Uh, so I wasn't very aware of, of the world of filmmaking per se, because I didn't, in Mexico at least, that, that wasn't part of anything that I experienced. But uh, my mother's brother lived in Los Angeles and we visited often. Uh, and that for me was a magical world in LA, uh, Hollywood, right? And Universal Studios. And that was fascinating to me. And, um, so that's one of the things that got me going into filmmaking, but uh, I never thought it was actually something that I could make, you know, do for a living. And, and uh, we used to do little Super 8 movies and, and uh, horror and sci science fiction movies, my brother and I, but uh, it was just a hobby. It was, it was playing, it was just a game. It was uh, something we just enjoyed doing. Uh, it was later only when I was about to finish high school that someone, that, a teacher told me there, there was such a thing as film school. Film school. So maybe I can continue doing my little films if I go to film school. Not, not even then I thought, okay, I'll make a career out of this. What I, what I had thought was that perhaps I was going to go into advertising because I liked um, well, the creative part of it, you know, coming up with stories and you know, writing up ideas that, that I thought I was good at and I enjoyed. And also graphic design. That's something that I liked uh, in, in high school, I used to make posters for whatever events might, might be happening. So I, I, I liked doing lettering. And I think that was influenced from my mother who, who studied uh, what would now be considered graphic design. Back then they called it commercial art. She studied that at Pratt, Pratt Institute. So um, I, I, she taught me how to do lettering uh, by hand. Of course, it wasn't by computer back then, you know, so. I enjoyed that. It was something that was lots of fun. So I guess I would have been a graphic designer or a copywriter in an ad agency. That's probably what I would have done. Later, I considered being a photographer, uh, still photographer. That was because I worked for a year in a, in a still photography studio in Mexico City. 
Uh, Nadine Markova was the photographer. She was my mentor. And that's where I started learning about photography. And after that, I went into film school. And that's why I focused on cinematography because I already had the principles of photography beforehand. Hmm. Wow. Very, very that's cool. amazing. Well, you guys, we're running, we're running, we're running out of time. I really, I want to thank you guys again for, you know, just chatting with me. This is really fun. And for everyone listening, you can watch The Glorias on Amazon Prime. Uh, check out the work that we talked about today. And I want to give a quick shout out to the rest of the team at Film Roundtable, Aaron Wilde, Doug Torres, and Matthew Wolf. Uh, and thank you everyone listening for your continued support. Uh, remember to follow us on Instagram, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you know, you'll be up to date on all of our upcoming roundtables. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. I appreciate it. Great Bye. Bye. Bye.